We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Back from a short break. Hope everyone's having a great summer. Joining me today is Ryan Quinn, a football writer from the conventional playmaker, also at Quinn Tactics on Twitter. He wrote an article a while back on David Beckham's role in the Manchester United 1999 treble season. And I read the article and I thought it was really, really interesting. So I wanted to get him on and take a closer look and discuss David Beckham in general. He has a reputation as being a great crosser. And I remember growing up watching him play and I think he was a great passer and a great crosser. But Ryan dug in a little bit more. Was there a bit more to his game in terms of positioning? And and I took a closer look myself and I realised there was and wanted to, to chat about that topic. So the full interview here is on also on YouTube as well. We've got some clips. And if you want to go up there and check out the clips, it's on YouTube, my YouTube page, Gary Kernin. If you go up there and give it a subscribe, that would be great. Also, for coaches who are looking for some ideas for the upcoming season, if you've got pre-season coming ahead and you're looking for some ideas in terms of session design, I've just put out a new ebook that's now available, 20 full attacking training sessions. So covering three phases, basically, build-up, midfield progression and goal scoring and breaking those three phases into certain specific topics. And I took it upon myself, there's three parts of every session and I took it upon myself to challenge myself to put it together in terms of every exercise must have a tactical objective. So that's out now, over 60 exercises in total in the ebook, everything with a specific tactical objective, everything around attacking and build up and progression. It's available now on modernsoccercoach.com shop. So if you're looking for some ideas and you'd like to support the work we do at Modern Soccer Coach, Please check it out, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. Okay, thank you very much. Here is Ryan. Enjoy. Ryan, thanks so much for joining me today. Modern Soccer Coach Analysis Podcast. Uh, excited to have you on. Thanks for having me, and I hope you're doing well. The topic I just said before we start recording there, like that's it got me reading the article. I was, and I still am, a 90s football fan. I was a Manchester United fan before I started coaching and after coaching, I don't really, I'm bothered about too many teams these days, but Beckham was, like, I love this team, love this team. So when your article came out, I, I, I clicked on it right away. But you're a bit younger than me. You're a lot younger than me. So you didn't grow up in the 90s as a football fan. Like, why did you write this article? Well, um, obviously, like yourself, I'm a Manchester United fan. Um, and I started a series of retro pieces during the first wave of lockdown just to give me something to do, something to report about whilst the football was postponed. Um, and my dad, my dad's a big United fan as well. So he, he would often rave about the Trevor winning team that, uh, he obviously had is old enough to remember and remember fondly. And I, I, I would often go back and watch games just 
just for fun. And I always, I always really liked Beckham myself too. And so he was just a player that was interesting to analyze as well, because I think people get kind of caught up in the celebrity of Beckham and forget that he was actually also a really, really good player. So it was just an interesting topic to cover. The most underrated player in the history of the game. I've said it. I've got <laughs> use of this from on a, on social media. I, I think but we'll get into that and I'll tell you why I think he's the most underrated. The team, and this is from your article, and we'll have our link yeah. below for all the coaches to go and read it. So we talk a lot as coaches about getting the balance right. You know, the Arsenal, the Chelsea, some of the great Premier League sides. But this team, I always think, it had just such a unique balance. Where, where do you think he got it right, or how would you break it down? Um, well, this particular team was the team that played Bromby at Old Trafford in the Champions League group stage. And I think when you think of the word balance, it really comes from midfield above everything else in this team for me. And I think the reason why that is is because, well, I remember writing in the piece that Beckham had a very different role to the left-sided player which was either Ryan Giggs or Jesper Blomqvist, and in this case against Bromby, uh, Blomqvist. And I think an example of that is how, where you had the right back, in this case, Phil Neville, and then who was substituted for West Brown, uh, would often make runs ahead of Beckham, whereas the left winger was a far more direct option and often making runs themselves. And you can also see in midfield, Roy Keane and Paul Scholes is a great partnership, one of the best midfield partnerships in the history of English European football um, but I think at this point in his career as well Paul Scholes wasn't necessarily the kind of deep line creator that a lot of people might think of him as now he'd often make runs ahead and support the support the attack more often uh, he had 11 goals that season which was I think the most of any player that wasn't a recognized striker in the United team and Roy King would often obviously make runs forward himself but he would obviously provide the balance in midfield to allow Skulls to move further forward. So it was that midfield worked in unison, um, but they each had their own role, which was always interesting to cover uh, when writing this piece. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because even even with that diagram, you push Blancfist on there and you put Beckham inside and yeah. you've almost got a lopsided, you know, 4-3, yeah. which would be seen, you know, seen as routine today, but back then... It wasn't. Yeah, that, that's a really good point because I think, um, although obviously it would have been, it wouldn't not just been Ferguson like taking the training sessions. It might be Steve McLaren or the, uh, other coaches in the in the at the club at the time. But uh, I do think that in some cases Ferguson uh, gets underrated as as a tactician, as as somebody who, because in that team as well, it was very adaptable. It was quite pragmatic in that in certain games. Uh, obviously, you see here it's four four two. You might perceive it as a lopsided four three three, depending on what the left wing is doing. But um, a lot of the time, they might have went for an extra midfielder in in the shape of a four five one against uh, a team that might have had uh, a bit more technic a bit, a bit more technicality to them, especially in midfield. Um, they did that in Europe. I remember um, Ronnie Johnson played in midfield uh, at one point and. Uh, yeah, it's they they adapted to the opposition quite well. This United team. Speaking of underrated, uh, and I do agree with you. I do think Ferguson definitely like he's. It's well known that he didn't do a lot of the training, but I think you know obviously his management of play and his recruitment was really good. I think his I think his systems were were 
when we'll talk about certain uh, things that that I've even recognised myself. Um, but Jesper Blomqvist, in your article, you said that he played thirty eight games and started mm. twenty nine. And yes, yeah. said he's like a lot of people. If you had have asked me before reading that how many times, and I watched this team every week, and I had the treble video and watched it until it, I would have said Blomqvist played five games, ten games. <laughs> I still see an amount of numbers. Yeah, because um, it's often almost mythologized that there was a consistent starting eleven throughout that whole campaign, and that midfield being Beckham, Keane, Scholes, and Giggs. But um, it wasn't like that at all. The, the eleven was often chopped and changed depending on injuries or depending on who may have been more suited or a formation change, for example. Um, but Giggs, Giggs was, at least in your head, he seemed the first choice left winger. But Blomqvist played a lot more than you might think. Uh, I think, I think the mythologized eleven, if you want to call it that. Uh, that everyone seems to think is the go-to eleven in this treble-winning team. I think only played together once. Uh, I think it was a Premier League game. I, I admittedly can't remember against which team, but they only played together once. Um, so that would be Schmeichel, Neville, Stam, Jonsson, Irwin, the midfield I just mentioned, and then York and Cole up front. That team only played together once. Wow. So, admittedly, I think it might have been Coventry. I can't remember, honestly. I think it might have been Coventry, but I, I might be wrong. That's amazing. Um, yeah, the, the, so let, let's get into Beckham. And, and this is maybe what time does as a traditional fan of the game. And you look back and you think of that team and you realise they only played together once. You, I could recite the commentary on that treble uh, video that I, that I watch. I'm showing my age here. But I would have thought that Beckham played as wide as possible, as high as possible, all the time, and then when I thought of it, I actually went for a run this week, and I was thinking, I'm like, but Gary, if 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 he did that all the time, why would teams not stop him? So he mm. wasn't as one dimensional as as we think, and and you you allude that in your article. Yeah, um, obviously he he formed a really good partnership with with Gary Neville in particular, who was the first choice right back, and. Uh, whereas Gary Neville would provide the whip a lot of the time. Um, Beckham would drift inside. He'd support the build-up in midfield, uh, notably with Roy Keane. And he, when switching the ball inside, he could receive either the ball either from Keane or from a defender and then ping it to the left winger, making the run uh, on the opposite flank. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that Beckham didn't make runs down the flank himself. I mean, he did. He was... He was uh, there were there were layers to his game. It wasn't just straight. It wasn't as straightforward as, as you said, people might think. Um, I remember I wrote about it. Um, we might get to it in more detail later. I'm not too sure. But against Inter Milan, in the Champions League quarterfinal, Beckham uh, in the first leg uh, was up against uh, Winter, who was a makeshift wing back, and I think he was 33. And Beckham really exploited that kind of issue that Inter had down that side and provided two almost identical assists uh, in that game. Uh, and yeah, so that showed that Beckham, although he typically tucked inside and supported the midfield that way and gave the fullback the space to make runs, he also could make runs down the flank himself. Yeah, the, Barcelona, I remember that one. But he'd done the same, I believe he'd done the same to him. I think it was Giggs header at the back post 
and I think mm. uh, I think it was Scholes had a had an overhead kick. Was that against Barcelona as well, where he's where Beckham's against come inside, come outside, um, where he's dropped the shoulder. I would have thought that if he was doing that, he would he would have more success in the wings against English opposition. But why do you think they were so successful? You mentioned about a four five one. Why do you think they were so successful against European opposition? Because it was a real problem at the time for the top English teams to go and play top Italian, top Spanish teams. I think it might have just been as uh, I think come the end of the decade. Uh, English teams were evolving more tactically. Um, I also think that um, it was, I just think for this particular United team, they were very good at either adapt, like adapting to or really notifying weaknesses in opposition teams. And uh, I think what, what, was, what was interesting was for the second leg, I wrote this as well, for the second leg against Inter Milan, uh, Winter was replaced by Mikel Silvestre. Who, who had who was quicker and dealt with Beckham better down that right side down United's right side, and that may have arguably been a reason he was signed by Ferguson later on. Um, but I, I also think it was because just how English sides were evolving coming into the decade. I think it was beginning of a shift, so to speak. A lot, a lot of fans would would see this picture here, and and again, this is in your article against Spurs. I guess was the the mm. day that they won the league. Blank twelve. Yeah, that's pretty normal for a right sided midfielder to be in that spot. But that wasn't normal at the time. Usually, wingers, old fashioned wingers, were to provide width at all times. But for Beckham, not only to get in this position, um, but also to I mean, he scores from here, so he delivers in this position. I mean, you start to see why he was worth so valuable, where he could play in those what they call now inside channels, but he could also play mm. with width as well. I, I, I like this goal as well because it starts, Giggs comes inside, passes the skulls, and the skulls picks obviously Beckham, who's who's in space, and the space in the box for Beckham to pick out the shot and inevitably score. But watching Beckham in these sorts of positions, either further forward or deeper on the pitch, it it makes me think that in the modern game, he wouldn't play as a right side. He wouldn't play as a right winger. Um, I, I've often thought about this before, but I keep thinking, I keep comparing him to Trent Alexander-Arnold, and in a way Kevin De Bruyne, but mostly Trent Alexander-Arnold. And I think the reason that is is because, like Beckham, Trent Alexander-Arnold is a great delivery. Um, he he's the creative hub of that Liverpool te- of the current Liverpool team, as is uh, Andrew Robertson on, on the left side. But um, he get Trent Alexander-Arnold. Trent Alexander-Arnold doesn't necessarily just stay on the flank. He tucks inside and uh, it might be, say, for example, Jordan Henderson making a run from uh, on that right side. So they, they interchange positions. And if, say, for sake of argument, you put Beckham in that Liverpool team, he wouldn't play instead of Salah on the right wing. Mm. Uh, he doesn't, he, Beckham didn't provide the goal threat that Salah does. Um, and obviously, it's not so much the position nowadays, I think. It's more the role that player has. So, if Beckham was to be in this current Liverpool team, I think he'd slot in where Alexander Arnold does, or maybe in midfield himself in that midfield three. So it 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 kind of goes to show that Beckham was kind of he was. I mean, he was never. I don't. I would never call him an out and out winger. He was more a wide midfielder for me. But it goes to show that in the modern game, he wouldn't play as a winger. He wouldn't play as he wouldn't play as a wide midfielder either. I don't think. 
Um, and the reason I compare him to De Bruyne as well is because De Bruyne has obviously covered a lot of different roles for Man City. Mm. He's played as a false nine. He's he's uh, I think in his I think in his first season under Pellegrini, uh, he did play a bit wider. But under De Bruyne, uh, under Pep Guardiola, he's played in lots of different positions left in on the left of a midfield three on the right, and he obviously picks up and delivers balls in these channels. And it's interesting to compare both him and Alexander-Arnold to Beckham in that way. Yeah, I mean, his technique is, and, and similar to Trent Alexander-Arnold, there's a clip, I was just pulling it up when you were talking there, about, I watched the game last week, um, came up on my YouTube, Northern Ireland <laughs> versus England, 2005. Um, I'm from Northern Ireland. Oh, yeah, no, that was when England battered Northern Ireland at Belfast. Northern Ireland won one nil. David oh. Healy. So it's got the whole BBC breakdown, and it's got the whole. So I, I've obviously clicked on it to watch it. Um, yeah. Had a couple of hours. Kids were in bed. Um, two things. One, there's an argument at the start between not an argument, but Ian Dowie's in the studio with Alan Hansen, and and Beckham is playing in the six role defensive midfielder. And Hansen's basically saying, you can't play there. He can't play there with, without a defensive brain. Um, whereas Dowie challenges it with, well, it's, it works for Pirlo today. You know, you wouldn't say that about Pirlo. But mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can share this. Watch the, the second minute of the game. He gets the ball from a throw-in. It plays it and bounces it to him and gets it back. And he plays it across his body and switches the ball to Sean Wright Phillips. Now, this is the genius of back. I've never seen this pass. No one's ever, it's never been on social media. It's never been clipped. We'll talk now more specifically about, about Beckham. And so I, when I was getting ready for this here, I, I watched, I'll watch it in 89 myself and see if I see anything different with my coach's eye these days. So I watched, all Beckham's clips against Chelsea in this season. And came into this pocket from a right... Basically, and this is what I thought about, is back fours stayed as back fours those days. It was very much 4-4-2. From my, my memory of the Premier League at this era was 4-4-2 or 4-4-1-1, where it was as... Zola or a Cantona or a Bergkamp that was just dropping off, but you always had a back sure. four. Um, and and Beckham's ability to manipulate that left back, and we've seen it in the clips there of coming to the inside channel and giving Neville or uh, or Brown the space on the outside, but also like I thought this was brilliant where he's come in, he's dropped almost diagonally behind Keane and Scholes and it's found himself in. That's him there on the ball. It's not a great picture, but that's him there on the ball. And I, yeah, you can just really see good. where how much space he has, and yeah, people weren't aware. Like systems weren't really used to that twenty years ago. No, I I think there's two things. One, when watching games back, it was always very apparent just how much time players had on the ball at that point in time. Um, uh, I, I do think today in today's game that in that situation there'd be someone going to press Beckham uh, quite quickly um, Beckham would still possibly know which pass he'd want to make obviously but um, I do think it would. he might not have the time to pick it out in today's game but also uh, you asked me about feedback on the piece um, and 
uh, one piece of feedback I did get was somebody saying how they do think Beckham could easily play as a deep as a deep midfielder, and I do agree. I do think that he has um, he does he does have the passing range, but also I, I do think he has the work rate as well. He did have the work rate as well. Um, uh, you, you were saying you were comparing saying what Ian Dowie had to say about Beckham playing deeper, and uh, I I don't necessarily think that he would need a defensive screen uh, because I I mean Ian Dowie alluded to Andrea Paolo, but also I think Beckham had good defensive nous anyway. Uh, even when playing slightly wider to the right, he would trap back and support the fullback against the opposition winger, and I I I I think he had some defensive nous about him. Mm. Just looking at this picture, like the the distance between front and back for both teams is it's amazing, isn't it? It's like forty yards. Yeah. Whereas, it's quite funny to actually see that. Yeah, I mean that, but that's the thing. But then you look back at it and say, "All right, well, I mean, a player today might look at it, and I'm sure a young player would say, well, look how much space.' But then, which brings us on nicely, his skill set had the all right, so." We're used today to the Rondo generation because the game is played from front to back lines and and from east to west. It's very tight as well, so people mm. can break pressure with combinations. Well, you open the game up, and now you need a, a different club in the bag. Now you need a three wood rather than a nine iron to solve problems. And Beckham had the ability to, as you can see with us, that's why it's been played in slow motion. He's he's played in the centre forward with a pass that was just. You know, Beckham esque, but yeah. so it's one thing to have the situation. But he he could fit this generation of player, work rate, technique. But he he did stand out in that generation for his ability to go Definitely. thirty forty yards. Yeah. Mm. And I, I I do think it kind of points out that in later decades, Paul Scholes would be making that type of pass, but he's not yet at that stage in his career where he would be doing that. That makes sense. That's mm. what pointed out. That's what stood out to me as well when watching these, uh, when watching these games back. Um, so yeah, I just I just felt that that was interesting to know because when people think of skulls, they think of skulls straight away as uh, the deep lying player he eventually did become. But at that point in his career, he he did play a lot more further forward. Mm. Well, they both had the same technical skill set. Were yeah. I would say pretty pretty similar. Where yeah, I've seen this. I, I see it decreasing in, in in players today, young players today, because they're coming from training that is, again, small-sided stuff. They can make those quick decisions, but the ability to open up a game is why I think Beckham was, well, bring it on to our next slide here. Um, again, same game. I thought he had three in the final third. He had the ability. You mentioned the pass before. You mentioned the switch to Blancfist on the far side, or gigs, which very few players see today. He had the bend then, because you could, if he yeah. put, I think that's Solskjaer coming in, if he if he bent that into Solskjaer and scored that, then you wouldn't be surprised at all. But he also had this cut pass into that yeah. space where, and that that's, that's actually the pass he chose in this one, is a ball into into the midfield, the furthest left ball, which it would be, if I was a winger, that would be my, it would be a mistake to get the ball there. But he's like cut across it and found a midfielder. Amazing. It's risky, but 
obviously with Beckham, he has the, te- he has the technique. To, he had the technique to pull it off. And you said that like there's a decrease in kind of those sorts of long range passes. Can you kind of relate that to like shots from distance as well? I I I I kind of feel like obviously there's goals from distance in today's game as well, but I feel like I feel like there's less of that. Is, that's just a hunch. That's not something I have numbers to prove, numbers with to prove. But I, I kind of can't help but feel like there's less shots from distance in today's game. A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I think some of it's down to, you know, these areas now are usually occupied. That picture, especially, we talk about the spaces from back to front. Now they're occupied with one, maybe two sixes and holding midfielders. Mm. So now you're you're not getting your time to hit shots, and as well, I think is that people are getting a bit more information today on shot location and and yeah, xG yeah. and and mm. you know they're opting off that there. Whereas some of Beckham, I mean the the Tottenham one, um, this one here, he sticks in the top corner. So he, his ability to opt for a bend or opt for striking a ball, I mean he he was pretty multi-dimensional with his finishing as well. Yeah, I, th- I think the, his free kicks had range as well. Like he could, um, uh, let's say, let's say he's in that position that he's in, that he's in in that shot in that steal against Tottenham. He could obviously go top right or top left. He might play, it. and I, I, there was a range to his free kicks as well. That I, and obviously take scoring free kicks from various angles as well. Um, he did score a free kick in fact against Bromby in the game that we noted on before. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> he had a range to his free kicks. A free kick. I remember he, he had one against uh, Real Madrid and he's, um, I think he came off the bench and he's, because he come across it, it's a, it should be a left footer hitting it, but he's come across mm. it on his right and it's the, I remember Ron Atkinson was doing the commentary and he was saying, that's the best one I've ever seen him hit. <laughs> you rarely seen him hit. Where Roberto Carlos, whether he was 20 yards or 50 yards, he was hitting it the same way. Whereas Beckham had again more more clubs in the bag to opt for, um, you know different types. What one thing what I wanted to ask you about Beckham was you know coming off this season, I, I know it it finished on a bit of a down note when his last season at United he was kind of out of favour and stuff like that. But obviously in world football terms, he moved on to the biggest club in the world at the time. They were buying the Galacticos, were buying the top top players. What do you think it was about him that that got that got him that move? I mean, frankly, firstly, he was a great player. Um, there's no doubt in that. And I think, obviously, that maybe it was an opportunity for Beckham to, to get somebody like Beckham, considering the situation he was in at the club at the time. Mm. Um, I do remember, obviously, there was the whole situation with the Ferguson's boots. Um, and I also remember that season... So the season United won the title, Solskjaer played a lot on the right side. Um, but also I think it maybe maybe the status that Beckham had, just the fact that he was a bit he was a global name at that point. Um, and also what Madrid were trying to build kind of was something that maybe would they felt Beckham would suit perfectly. And also I, I, I feel it's interesting that um, you mentioned Roberto Carlos. So by the time Beckham went to Madrid, they had obviously um, uh, Beckham, Figo, and Roberto Carlos, who were all recognised free kick takers, and it was interesting to compare them uh, just from time to time because I always felt that of the three of them, Beckham was probably the most consistent from free kicks. 
Yet I remember Roberto Carlos taking a lot of them and maybe not being as consistent. So that's just mm. something. Yeah, I've heard that before that that Roberto Carlos's stats on actually scoring goals and attempts is is mm. uh, is pretty low. <laughs> I saw Beckham in nineteen ninety seven against Tottenham. It was his kind of breakout season. Live, um, where he played on the right side, United beat Spurs 2 1 that day. He scored the winning goal from distance and he he's caught it with the outside of his right foot. You rarely see like it's it's one of his best goals, you rarely see it maybe because it was, um, because in the early years of the Premier League. And then I saw him play in the LA Galaxy, uh, when I was over here in America. I saw him play in, I think it was 20, 2009 or 2010. Oh, like there was watching two different players, but at the same time he had that ability, and, and maybe that was the the change in him where he had that ability to to adapt his game, and he was a bit more his work rate always stood out, but he was way less mobile in two thousand nine than he was in nineteen eighty seven for the obvious reasons. Do you remember watching I, him at all? I remember watching back and play for England, um, uh, the two thousand six World Cup and in a friendly against Brazil in 2007. And I also remember play, watching Beckham play for Milan when he went on loan. Mm. Uh, and also for PSG, I think against Barcelona, where he did play deeper in midfield. Um, obviously, he's, he wasn't as mobile come the end of his career as he would have been in his prime at United. Um, but he, he, he had the range of passes that you would, that especially as time went on in the modern game, you'd really want from a, deep line midfielder um and yeah I, I do remember seeing Beckham in the twilight of his career especially and he was he was always very 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 good technically he didn't lose that and, and this is why I say it was the most underrated is because I think for for someone to get to that level and play for PSG AC Milan Real Madrid Manchester United how many caps for England? So there's, but he didn't have pace like out and out, you know, that extra yard, he separation speed, they call it in America. He didn't have separation speed. He couldn't beat players with speed. He didn't have a left foot. He wasn't particularly aggressive uh, defensively, you know, like it, all these things that he had a right foot that was unbelievable and he could, and he could run all day in terms of fitness and stamina. And I would put those things down to both being controllable to where, you know, the, there's the great stuff uh, you, you hear about him with the Bobby Charlton soccer school and he was a young kid. And obviously, obviously the man had talent, what I'm saying is that he, he, he absolutely knuckled down on that talent and committed on that talent. And I think that's something that I don't think, again, today, I don't think we, we praise that enough um, maybe it's because you know, and he has made billions, hasn't he? Like, so you know, he hasn't done too bad out of it. But um, <laughs> sometimes I think you know that's overshadowed the football because he was exceptional. Because I, I think, um, I think I read before how Ferguson noted on just how how much he worked on the training ground, and also it's interesting because he had a lack of pace, and most wingers do have pace. And I think it, he, he was a stark contrast from the previous right winger in the United team, Kinchelskis, mm. um, who was 
all about pace and all about being a threat on the counter-attack. Um, because I think that United team in particular, that the team that just before Beckham's time so uh, was really good on the break, really good counter-attacking team. And not that Beckham was, wasn't necessarily like the slowest person to play on the pitch, but he, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't rapid. Uh, and I think, I th- if I rem- I think if I read correctly, Beckham was, he was a centre midfielder at youth level. Very, very possible he was a centre midfielder at youth level, then converted the play on the right by Ferguson. But I think even though he wasn't necessarily rapid like Kinchelskis, he could be a threat on the counter in a different way because he could just pick out a pass so quickly and just set it up and attack that way. Yeah, that, that 99 season, I'm sure it's Coventry City, away, Schmeichel catches counter-attack and you wouldn't think he's a counter-attacking player and it's York that scores it but it's mm. um, he's, he's he's come up and then he's just he's just taken one touch smash across the six-yard box York scores I think they won maybe 1-0 or 2-0 that day you know like that's, that's my re- recollection of the video um, I'd say the other thing I really liked about Beckham when we finish up here uh, is the fact that when it when it went south in all his clubs because it always goes that direction see footballers today especially where if they're not getting the playing time and they leak something to the agent and the agent stirs it and they move on or they stay and we see it today with Pogba and they stay and it 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 kind of goes to a place where it's a standoff until they leave but one thing I really liked about Beckham was from a United fan when he went back he always he always respected he always talked highly about Sir Alex Ferguson, but also when he went to Madrid, Capello said he'd never play, and he said, "Oh, all right then, that's fine." You know, he just accepted it, and then he needed him about two months later. And again, the, the cynic in you would go, "Ah, tough. I'm happy in the reserves or something like that." And he he helped win Capello La Liga with Real Madrid, and it didn't it didn't seem to fly. His ability to deal with adversity and take the high road as a young 25, 30, 35-year-old. Uh, to me, I guess that's really, really impressive. Hmm. Yeah, I, I do remember that that was the 2006-7 season. Mm. I think it was obviously slightly just before Capello became England. England, yeah. And um, I do remember that season because that was the season that uh, I think it was a three-all draw with Barcelona, at, uh, with Barcelona and I think Messi, I think he got a hat-trick in that game. Um, yeah, but uh, and obviously in that season, Benesseroy transferred from the United to Real and uh, was their top goal scorer as they clinched La Liga. I think they clinched it for the first time since I think it might have been two thousand and three, and then mm-hmm. uh, then they won it again when Beckham went to LA Galaxy and then Barcelona had their treble and the rest is history. I one of my favorite. I have such a soft spot for him, so uh, I really enjoyed. I really yeah. enjoyed the piece, and it, it's oh, it's just these conversations. We could. I'm, I'm kicking myself because I should have. I should have got more video for uh, more stills uh, to go through. But we'd be here all night. You'd never get the bit. Um, last question for you. Uh, tell me about the the website, the conventional playmaker. Tell me about what you do there and and where you're looking to take it. Well, it's my personal football website. It's mostly tactical analysis and uh, call them think pieces on trending or retro topics on the game. Um, I mostly use it as a way to get my work out there so it can lead to opportunities like this. 
to just expand my portfolio and just see where it takes me as a as an occupation, perhaps full time. Um, we'll have to see what's what in the future. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's somewhere where I can host my work and write about the game I love. Brilliant, brilliant. Ryan, top class. Keep up the great work and and do me the next retro. Make sure I don't miss it. Put it in my <laughs> message me on Twitter. Put it in my mailbox, and we'll we'll jump on again. I like I could talk. I could talk retro football all day. I love retro football. So next article you write, let me know, and I'll do a bit more homework on the on the the slides, and we'll come back on and we'll do it again. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate the praise. Thank you. Great stuff. Cheers, Ryan. Thanks so much. Great stuff. Massive thanks to Ryan for coming on. Coaches, before you shoot off today, please check out the new ebook, Modern Soccer Coach 20 Full Attacking Training Sessions, Build Up Play, Midfield Progressions, and Final Third Attacking. Over 60 exercises in total. Ebook available now, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. Thanks for the support. See you soon. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.